I'm excited about the message today. Um, I've entitled the message today simply, Like Jesus. We're called to be like Jesus. And now, if someone told me that way back in the day when I accepted him as my Lord, I would have said, that's not going to happen. That can't happen. But after studying and seeing the word, I realized that we're called to be like Jesus. So anyway, uh, Philippians chapter 2. We are in verses 5 through 11. We're just continuing with our our weekly study in this this epistle. So I'm going to read it, then we'll pray, then we'll get into it. So Philippians 2, starting at verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Thus the title, like Jesus. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Lord God, thank you so much that we're right here today in this passage. Pray your blessing, Lord, over the sermon. Let it bring you honor and glory. Let it bring you attention, O God. And may the preaching of your word also uh, be received by every hearer. May we hear what saith the Lord through this passage. I ask you, Lord, to anoint me with your spirit to preach the way you want me to preach today. Enlighten me, even as I deliver this message, but let it bring glory to you and edification to the body of Christ. Lord, even those on live stream, even those that will see this later in the week or sometime in the future through social media, bless it, Lord, for your glory and for your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen Amen and amen. Well, this passage is well known to many people. I found out something that I didn't know before, but during Paul's day, uh, most scholars will say that this passage was actually sung in the churches because it has rich theology, beautiful, sound theology, that Christ came as a servant of all, as a servant to all, fully God, fully man, and his sacrifice was fully accepted by God the Father. So he who was humbled has been and will be exalted for all of eternity. You could say these verses, especially verses 6 through 11, uh, capsulize the whole crux of what Jesus did when he came here and what what happened to him after he did what he did. So verse number 5 is crucial to our understanding of this passage because in context it summarizes everything what what it says in verse number five is is have the mind of christ so this wasn't written to be a theological statement although it is it was written so that we would know what the mind of christ is verses six through eleven answers what the mind of christ is by saying what he did it's interesting though that uh again that Paul's logic here is not so much to proclaim Christ in that way, it's to help the church know how to function, how to think, and how to live. 
So Jesus demonstrated this as well when he prayed in the garden that night, Father, if possible, take this cup from me. But nonetheless, not my will, let your will be done. We read in Hebrews 12 that uh, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus despised the shame and endured the cross and now sits at the right hand of the Father. You could say that Jesus didn't really want to do this, but his will died to the will of his Father. But in the context of Philippians 1 and 2, this passage serves to, to teach us how we should function, how we should act, how we should think, and how we should do what we do. Just go back a little bit uh, with me. Chapter 1, verse 27, we spent some time on this, but... In verse 127, he's saying, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In verse 30, just to paraphrase, he's saying, let, uh, join in the conflict of this, of this walk with Christ. We're, we're in a conflict because we don't fit into this world. In chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, be like-minded and be in one accord with one another. Look out for one another. So, Verse 5 is saying, okay, but you've got to have the mind of Christ. Um, Peter said it also. He said, uh, Christ suffered for us, and he set for us an example that we should walk in his steps. So I, I just kind of am taken by this passage because uh, Paul is teaching the Philippians. The Holy Spirit is teaching us how to function in this life. We can't, we can't conduct ourselves worthy of the gospel. We can't love one another and serve one another unless we have the mind of Christ. I would go even farther. I, we can't even function as a person unless we are touched by the spirit and mind of Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that's something we should be praying for every day. Lord, give me, the, give me your heart. Let me see with your eyes. Let me feel the way you feel. Lord, anoint me to be a man or woman that you want me to be. So, in order to serve Christ, in order to be right with God, the crux of the matter is we've got to serve one another. Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So I, I think, uh, looking at chapter 2, verse 5, we need to get yoked with God, get the mind of Christ, get the attitude of Christ, get the heart and disposition of Jesus. If we could do that, man, we would make a big difference in this community. If we could just simply get the mind and heart of Jesus Christ. If we could let ourselves die like he did and get that attitude right with our Father we could really turn this place upside down. So we're going to go, we're going to do what we do. We're going to go verse by verse through this. And then at the end of this, I want to give you uh, five takeaways from this passage of how we could be like Jesus. But anyway, verse number five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I, I have to ask the question, how did Jesus think? I mean, we, we don't see his whole 33 years in the gospel. You know, we see three years, but we don't see all of those three years. We have glimpses of how he lived and how he thought. But in John 6, 38, Jesus said this, I came down from heaven, and not to do my own will, but the 
will of him who sent me. So to get the mind of Christ, we have to realize we've got to obey the Father. We have to be a, have a heart of serving, of giving, of doing, and working out the will of God. I also find it interesting, if you look in, your, in that passage, in verse number 12, right after where we stopped. So if you put verse number 5 and verse number 12 together, let this mind be in Christ, which, be in you, which was also in Christ, so that you can work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You see that? Verse 5 and verse 12. In the middle is the illustration of what Jesus did, and we're supposed to copy that, or live like that, or have the mindset like that. So you could say, we could never work out our own salvation with fear and trembling without the mind of Christ. It says in verse 13, for it's God that's working in us to change us. So maybe some Christians are trying to work things out and leaving Christ out of it, or at least out of some of it. And if that's the case, those areas of our lives where we're leaving Jesus out, those are the areas he definitely wants to get. Are you with me, church? Is this passage kind of intriguing to you? It is to me. Verses 5 and 12 are the bookends. In the middle is all about Jesus. But Paul's saying we need to be like that so we can work out our own Christian faith. Wow. I wish someone told me that the day I got saved. It would have been a little bit bit easier, clearer for me what was expected. So anyway, Jesus is the ultimate example of being a servant leader. Verse number 5, we're still here. He's humble, yet he's strong. He's loving, yet he's firm. He's committed, and he's faithful. He's patient, and he's just. If you go back in the Gospels and, and read how he interacted with sinners, he had a great heart towards sinners. The humble sinners, he showed great mercy and kindness and grace. The hard, proud sinners, he, he was a little bit more firm with them, like when he turned over the, the money changers' tables, when he yelled at the Pharisees and called them snakes. That's pretty serious. When he said to the Pharisees at John's baptism, you show me some fruits of repentance. But Jesus was a servant leader. And so Paul is saying, get this mind in you. And now now verses 6 through 11, he's going to tell us all about Jesus so we could get into the mind of Christ. So verse number 6. Verse number 6 was always a little bit intriguing to me, uh, all of its own. I thought the wording was a little awkward in the New King James Version, but it says in, in my translation, New King James, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That little verse has kind of not troubled me, but it's kind of like gotten my attention for many, many years. But basically what that's saying is Jesus Christ is God. It's not robbery to be equal with God because he was God. That's an established fact. Now that's there so that the following verses are more meaningful when we realize who's doing the suffering. It's God in the flesh. If it was just Peter or Paul or whatever, okay, that's bad enough. But this is God coming in the flesh to give his life as a ransom. So it highlights verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, and 11. John 1, 1 and 14, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. John 8, 58 says, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. 
Matthew 1.23, Gabriel was speaking. He said, his name is Jesus, but he'll be called Emmanuel, God with us. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's before all things, and in him all things consist. So verse number six, if you look at it, there's no title, there's no name here. And verse number seven kind of follows suit. It continues, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. He, he emptied himself. Some of the translations say Jesus emptied himself of his glory, of his power, and came to earth. But he let go of his credentials that qualified him as God. And so he put away his glory, his position, his riches. Uh, he was born in Bethlehem, as you know, Luke chapter 2. Born in a manger with poor people. No title, no real fanfare other than some angels and shepherds and wise men coming. But there's no throne, there's no earthly glory. And I thought about that in comparison to, say, some of the descriptive words of Jesus in, say, Daniel or Revelation, where his hair is white like wool, his eyes are glowing like flames of fire, his feet are like fine brass refined in the flame, his voice is like the voice of many waters, his countenance is like the sun. But when he came to earth, he had none of that. He left all of that in glory. He emptied himself of all of that and came and dwelt among us. So we read in, uh, in Revelation, when John had that revelation, you know what John's response was when he saw Jesus? He fell flat on his face. He couldn't stand in the presence of God. But yet when Jesus came, he came as a baby. He lived his life. He manifested his life. He lived among us. He demonstrated a great love in, in doing so. So verse number seven, he had none of that glory. He accepted the humanity that he took on. Um, he, he accepted, if you can relate to this, when I say he accepted the angst of life, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like when you wake up and there's something wrong, like the, the, the uh, water pipe broke or something, or you go in your car and something happened, it doesn't start, or you have a flat or something. It's the angst of life. It's, it's like the, the hassles of life. He took that on. The pain, the sorrow, the inner struggles, the rejection. Jesus took, up, took on hatred and disdain, and ultimately he took on death. I love Hebrews 4 where we read that we do not have a high priest who cannot understand or sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in all things, yet without sin. He lived among us. But here he's, he's a bondservant. He's a, a slave of sorts to the Father. And he emptied himself of all of that glory. Verse number eight uh, continues. He was found in the appearance of a man, in the likeness of a man. He took on humanity's struggle, passions, feelings. Yet uh, he humbled himself, it says in verse number eight. He, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. I, I just thought about that. He didn't die of old age. He didn't die of a disease and a sickness. He didn't die from an accident. He was murdered. He was crucified, a gruesome, torturous death on the cross. He left home and glory to come do that for us. And keep in the back of your mind what Paul is really saying. I, I want you to have the mind of Christ as you live your life on earth. 
Wow, I have to think like Jesus? He let go of everything to please his Father. Matthew 26 again, in the garden, Father, not my will, but let your will be done. There's a scripture in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 8. It says that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. You ever think about that? He wasn't programmed to obey. Verse number 8, he humbled himself. He became obedient. He wasn't like programmed to be obedient. He decided to be obedient. Let this let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and became, allowed himself to be obedient to the Father. That's a powerful statement right there for the church. He, uh, he, his self-will died. His desires died. His ego died. He's truly the Lamb of God, as John said, that has come to take away the sin of the world. So let that sink in a little bit. Let me read verses 6, 7, and 8 who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Side note, because he was God. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. That's our Lord. You know, this past week was, uh, was National Day of Prayer. And every year our community gets together. I sent out an email about it, I think, during the week. But um, I was asked to lead, and there's different topics we pray about. We met at town hall, then we went, went into common ground. My, my area to pray was to pray for the church. And so I, I thought about it and prayed about it. But what I shared was, what is the function of the church? The function of the church, according to 1 Timothy 3, is to be the pillar and foundation of what? The truth. That's what the church is. Let me just throw this in. It's not entertainment. Hello? It's not, it's not how you look. It's to be a pillar and foundation of the truth. Then the question is, what is the truth? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. When Jesus met with Pilate, Pilate said to Jesus, what are you doing? He said, I've come to bear witness of the truth. Pilate says, what is truth? You know what Jesus did? Nothing. He was standing there, didn't say anything. Pilate's looking at him, saying, what is truth? And Jesus is probably thinking, I am truth. I'm in the position right here in front of Pilate to be whipped beaten, uh, speared, cut, whatever, uh, put a crown of thorns. He was ready to be beaten for the cause of humanity. That's the truth. And he went out and he did it. And so the church's function is to share that message. You know what I mean? And we're, yes, we're called to feed the poor, absolutely. We're called to visit those in prison, absolutely. It's all part of it. We give clothing away. We do all of that. We support missionaries so that they could do this. But if we lose sight of what we're called to do, we are called to proclaim verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. 
or 6, 7, and 8. We're called to proclaim Jesus Christ. What did Paul say? I, I've, I've come to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't come in persuasive words or flowery speech. I came in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And in that anointing, in that purity of the proclamation of the gospel, listen to this, church. Online, listen to this. This is so true. In that purity of proclaiming the gospel without all the other stuff that we go through or we put into it. In that atmosphere of faith, that's when people get saved, when people get healed, when people get delivered. That's when things change. That's when the atmosphere changes. When Jesus is proclaimed in that way. But we could also get into another thing here where, well, we're thankful for Good Friday. All this happened on Good Friday. But as our brother Tony Campolo said many years ago, it might be Friday, but Sunday's coming. Because Friday's only the beginning of the story. The rest of the story is Sunday is coming. And he doesn't stay in that grave. He doesn't stay in that tomb. When they came to visit that day, that stone was rolled away so they could look inside and see that he wasn't there. And then that gospel was proclaimed and is still being proclaimed today. Why are there mass shootings? Why all, this, why all this anger in our country? Why all the crime? Why all the stuff that's going on? We see it every single day. Everyone's arguing. Everyone's fighting. I, I think the answer is present Jesus. Present Christ. Time for the church to awaken and proclaim the crucified, resurrected Christ. He's the one that has the power and the authority. So, verse number, verse number 8, we continue with this. Uh, he says, therefore, there's that word therefore, a lot of therefores in Paul's writings, but because of what Jesus did and he gave his life and all that, therefore, God or God the Father, it's like an if-then situation. Like when Jesus did all that, then the Father would do all this. I really like the, the verse, that verse number 8, that he humbled himself. He became obedient. He wasn't born obedient. He had passions like we do. He didn't want to be obedient. He didn't want to go through it, but not my will, let your will be done. Because he did what he did, the Father now does what he does, but he highly exalted Jesus. He highly exalted him. Ephesians 1, verse 20, 21 God's power is at work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, might and dominion, and every name, he's above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Jesus is highly exalted. Gabriel said it when he announced Jesus' birth. His name will be called Jesus he will save his people from their sins. He's got a name, verse number 9. He, he highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name. That's why we sing so many songs about the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The name of Jesus. In Revelation 19, we see a little picture. When Jesus is coming back, riding on the white horse, establishing his kingdom, and we're riding with him, but he's wearing a robe. And on his robe is the name written, King of Kings. On his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is highly exalted. We sing one song that says, All hail King Jesus. 
wonderful song. That should be our theme song as we sojourn here on the earth. But it says in verse number, number nine, uh, uh, highly exalted, he's given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Note, it's not the name of Paul. It's not the name of Peter. It's not the name of Moses or David or Abraham. It's not the name of Mohammed or Buddha or some Maharishni or some guru. It's the name of Jesus Christ. Meaning the, the name and the beauty of Jesus Christ. But keep, keep this in mind. The, the, the bookends are verse 5 and verse 12. All this is about Jesus. But in the context, it's about how we're supposed to live. Oh my goodness. What an example we have in Jesus. But every knee will bow of those in heaven. The saints of God, the angels in heaven will bow down at his name. Those on the earth, after the thousand-year reign, there's some significance of that. All the survivors will bow down and worship the Lord and, and confess his name. And those under the earth, you know what that means? Those that are con uh, condemned, either people or, or fallen angels, even they will bow at the name of Jesus. That is an awesome thought. Revelation 20 talks about the great white judgment room when all the nations will stand before God and all the books will be opened and they'll be evaluated. And if their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, they are condemned forever. But even then, they will bow before the name of Jesus. That's why we say often, isn't it good to worship God while we can freely willingly before we have to. I mean, come on. Sunday morning should be a hallelujah moment. We're coming to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. No one's twisting our arm. It's an act of our will to give him praise. Hallelujah. It goes on, verse number 11. At, at, uh, let's see. Verse number 10, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I love this passage. But I can't get away from verse 5 and verse 12. Because verse 5 is, let this mind that we just talked about be in you, so that, verse 12, you can work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, man. Can we just go do away with verses 5 and 12 and let it be? I think maybe they were singing those verses back in the day, but, but in context, you see what he's saying. Let this mind, let this heart, let this attitude be in you that was in Christ, that emptied himself from glory, lived among us, gave himself willingly, and then the Father, hallelujah, exalted him and given him the name and given him the the anointing, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wow. This passage is awesome. You have to admit, it's probably worth memorizing verses 5 through 11. So I want to give you five takeaways from here. They won't be long, but I want to give you five things to think about as we, as we ponder how we could be like Jesus. So we're really expected to be like Jesus. Well, yeah, we are. We're called to be like Jesus. He gave us an example to follow. But wow, what an example. 
But when you think about Christian history, think about it. From then until now, all the sacrifices Christians have made to promote the cause of Christ. I mean, missionaries have gone all over the world. Some have died in their faith proclaiming the gospel. Think of people who, who really follow this command. Go into all the world and preach. Be a light. You know, and the consequences that come because of our position in Christ. It's happening. It is happening. But the Lord is calling us today, I feel like, you know, calling us to be like Jesus. Let, let me give you five things to think about. The first thing I want you to think about is, number one, is that we can do this. Because we wouldn't be commanded in verse 5 to do it if we weren't able to do it. I don't think the Lord is unjust like that. Like, he wouldn't tell us to do something that's impossible to do. He's telling us to do it because it is possible to do. You can have the mind of Christ. But the big question is, how do I get the mind of Christ? Well, let me give you something to think about. First of all, let's get some things out of our mind. Like the garbage that we see all around us. The uh, immorality, the, the, the pride, the greed, the jealousy. Let's try to get that out of our mind. Right? But it, that's not even enough. Romans 12, 2 summarizes it best. He says, Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't think like the world. Don't get angry, get jealous, get pride. Don't think like that. But be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know what is the perfect good except the will of God. So I think many Christians are trying to figure, what does God want me to do as you dabble in different things? It'll never work. Because you're confusing yourself. You can't serve two masters. But we can do this, church. I'm telling you, we can do this. Um, I would say, you know, how do we renew our mind? Romans 12, too. Don't be conformed to this world. Well, I don't know. I like baseball games, for instance. I can remember the first base, you know, Major League Baseball. Grew up with it. New York Yankees, by the way, but that's another story. But I'm saying, you know, uh, but as a Christian, I asked, can, we, can I go to a baseball game? I'll tell you what, I, I'll never forget this. In our old church, we had a baseball game outing for the men one time. And this was, the, and I was a Christian for a while at that point, but there were some guys in our church that went to a baseball game for the first time without smoking dope, without drinking alcohol, without getting drunk at a baseball game. You can enjoy it without those things. It was a glorious time of fellowship is what I'm saying. Renew your mind. Guess what? You don't need that, that stuff. You don't need that stuff. You don't need to be cheating on your wife. You don't need stuff like that. It's how you think about it. But the Lord is calling us to think like him. What would Jesus, what would he have been like if he wasn't thinking his father's thoughts? Well, he was thinking, I'll let this cup pass from me for a fleeting moment. But nonetheless, Father, not my will, let your will be done. He surrendered to it. So I would say we can do this if we get alone with God, if we get into the word of God, if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, if we worship him, if we seek the truth, we'll find the truth. It will discipline ourselves. Matthew eleven twenty five 25, again, Jesus said, take this yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly. Think like Christ. Take his yoke. That means you have to break off the yoke of the world, the yoke of whatever, unbelief, the yoke of immorality, 
the yoke of whatever, jealousy or pride. Break that yoke and get yoked with Jesus. We can do this, church. This wouldn't be in here unless the Lord expected us to do it. Again, why do you think Christians have done tremendous things in life? Are we all so talented and gifted? No, we're willing, willing to do what God has called us to do. Here's number two, like Jesus. Verse number six, we want to be like Jesus. Like Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he was doing. He knew his mission. He knew he must be obedient to the will of the Father. In the same manner, verse number six, he knew he was God. Not robbery to be equal with God because he was God. The point is, we need to know who we are in Christ. There's several scriptures I could share with you, but... See if you could figure them out in your mind. One scripture says we're a new creation. One says we're the righteousness of Christ. One says we're partakers of the divine nature. One says we're rejuvenated, renewed, born again, spiritually awakened. Ephesians 2.1 tells us that we're alive unto God. We who were dead are now alive unto God. Everyone get that? That's what the word says. That's what the word says, that we are, we're alive unto God. We're awakened. Romans 6.4 says that we've been raised to walk in newness of life. Ezekiel 11.19 says that the Lord has given us a new heart. Ephesians 1.3 says that we received every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Do you know who you are in Christ? You're more than a conqueror. You're victorious in Christ. Another scripture says we're the aroma of Christ. Your job, your status, your position, what you do in life does not define who you really are. You are his. That's who you are. That's who we are. We belong to Almighty God. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship. Remember that word? We are his masterpiece. We are his artwork. We're his creative uh, song that he's putting together. Created for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you know who you are? See, let this mind be in you. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he had to do. Let that mind be in you. Who are you in Christ? What does God want you to do with your life? Here's number three. Verses seven and eight, very descriptive of what Jesus did, but he put his life into action. He came and he did what he was called to do. But I would say, you know what? If you want to be like Jesus, you got to start serving somewhere along the line. You have to start doing something. And you say, what can I do? And I would say to you, what do you like to do? What are you good at? What are you interested in? We have our sister Dolores bringing the flowers every week. Thank you, Dolores. That's a ministry. That's, she's doing that. James is doing the sound and media back there. Other people doing things. You know, people are doing things. But I, I, we don't have time to get into this, but write this down somewhere. Romans 12, 6 through 8, they're the grace gifts. Great place to start. If you want to know, what could I do in the body of Christ? Things like exercising spiritual gifts. Some people are gifted. They, they use the spiritual gifts. Some people have a gift of ministry. Well, what does that mean? That's kind of a broad topic. But some people have a ministry of cleaning of taking care of the yard outside or doing the nursery. It's a ministry. Develop that ministry. Uh, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, the ministry of mercy. You know, some, 
churches need to have a couple of people that are gifted with the gift of mercy. So that when people are having a hard time, they're going to hear a good positive word from somebody instead of condemnation. But anyway, start serving. Start doing something for the kingdom of God. Jesus came to do what he, what he came to do. He, he did what he came to do. We need to get busy about doing something for the kingdom. Number four is this. Verses 9 through 11. I, I, I put it this way. When we start doing, get ready for more. Because everything that we do seems to build in some way or another. Jesus was promoted in a way after he did what he did. He was highly exalted. He was elevated. He fulfilled his work here and his father elevated him in verse number nine. The principle is when you do what God calls you to do, there's movement. There's creativity. It's like he just wants you to get started. He'll lead you the rest of the way. I think of our brother Jesus here. Many years ago, he started to just minister to the kids on the street. With, leaving the streets wasn't even happening yet. He was just ministering quietly under the radar, so to speak. Little by little, the Lord gave him more, gave him more, gave him more, gave him more. And that was a thriving ministry in town, touching the lives of hundreds of kids. Didn't start that way. But the, when you start moving, God begins to meet you and expand what you're doing. I've seen it happen many, many times. So someone may be an usher here, and we're very grateful for the ushers. But one day, you may be training ushers. One day, you may have an ushers team of your own, because there's so many people here, we won't know what to do with them all. But you will, this is a training time. When you start serving, God could raise you up in a way. Cleaning ministry. Well, we have some cleaners in the church, but there may be a time when there's different teams of cleaners in the church so that one or two people aren't doing it all the time. You may be a, pray, a praying person, which is wonderful. And you're praying, but God may put on your heart, you know what, I think I need to come on Monday night to get involved with this prayer team. Maybe God will raise you up to be a prayer warrior for this church. I haven't said this in a while, but maybe God will raise you up that every time we get to this point in the service when I'm preaching or somebody's preaching, somebody's in another part of the building, guess what, praying for God to move through the sermon. Those churches do that. We used to do that. But if, if, in other words, if you get started, maybe God will, will facilitate and grow what you're doing. You may have a burden to teach. And, uh, you know, you may think, well, maybe I could teach the kids or the teenagers or young adults or whatever. But listen, you may teach these kids. Some of these kids will grow up to, to far outdo all of us in the kingdom of God. Where did it start? In kids' church, where they were 10 and someone had the audacity to be used by God to pour in God's love into a little person. And 10 years later, that person set in the world aflame. I'm just saying, expect more from God. You may become a volunteer at Common Ground or Somebody Cares New England or Pregnancy Care Center. And you may volunteer and sooner or later, guess what? You're now the leader of that ministry because they're always looking for leaders to step up to the plate. I'm just saying, start doing something and see how God blesses you with more. In Acts chapter 6, the issue was waiting on tables. Well, get some guys to wait on the tables. The people are complaining. There was Philip and Stephen and others. And God, with that simple act of serving the tables, God raised them up. Uh, Philip became a great evangelist, the father of three daughters that were prophets. 
Stephen became the first martyr, strong man of God, but it all started humbly in serving the tables. The Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, the one who had five husbands and living with another guy that wasn't her husband, how God used her to win the whole bring the whole town to meet Jesus. She was just willing to do a little bit more, a little bit extra. Philip in Acts chapter 8, he was there right in the middle of the revival, and the Lord called him aside to minister to one Ethiopian eunuch. I'm just saying that when you start serving God, get ready for more, because he will use you for more. I see it all the time in that regard. The fifth thing is this. I'm going to close with this. To show others, demonstrate others what it's like to be Christ-like. The whole passage, verses 5 through 11, is about Jesus' life, his sacrifices, his humility, his final exaltation and glory. But let that mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Show others, tell others, demonstrate your faith in front of others. Matthew 28, go into all the world, preach this gospel, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them all that I've taught you. So, in conclusion, if we want to be like Jesus, and I encourage you, church, take this message to heart. I think this could change your life if you let it. You can be like Jesus. You can begin to do what Jesus says. You can begin to know who you are in Christ. You can begin to start serving in some capacity here at the church or some of the other uh, ministries in town. And you can get ready for more of God's leading and prompting. And you can certainly show Christ to others as you serve him. Like Jesus. Let's stand together, can we? I want to read verses 9, 10, and 11. I want to read it together. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let's sing it again. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Every head bowed for just a moment. I want to read verse 5 and verse 12 as we just kind of contemplate for a minute. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Hallelujah. Dear Father, thank you for your word today. And thank you for the insights you've given us. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, your great sacrifice, how fitting it is that we had communion today, reflecting upon that. But Lord, now we know, we see that you, you are exalted. When we praise you every Sunday, every time we gather, we join with saints all over the world that are praising you, giving you honor and glory. And Lord, we're also reminded that one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Even those that are condemned will confess that you are Lord. But Father, in the context of Paul's writings, we see another application. The, the, the truest application is for us to be like that. So Lord, I want to pray that we would have the mind of Christ, that we would eliminate the mind of the world, the mind of the flesh, that we would eliminate pride and arrogance, lies, we would eliminate all the negativity that we've picked up along the way and that we would truly get this mind of Christ. And we pray, Lord, as we have the mind of Christ, as we remember what you've done and who you are now, as we exalt you and worship you and all of your glory, let us continue to be on that uh, that, that platform where you chip away the old man. Let us work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that when that day comes, when we stand before you, you will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Yes. And so, Lord, I, I pray for the church. I pray for New Life Christian Assembly that not only would we have a fresh revelation of what you've done for us, but that we would have a fresh revelation of, uh, now that we know that, of what we're supposed to do. And so, Lord, I pray that we would die to ourselves and live unto Christ. I pray, Lord, with all those that were baptized in water last Sunday, that as their old nature was put under the water, uh, symbolizing their death of their old nature, they came out alive unto Christ. Let us live that way until you come back again. So we thank you, Lord. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. And uh, we look forward to what you're going to do. Father, we want to pray for those that are traveling this week. We want to pray for our kids that are away. And we want to pray, Lord, that every seat in this sanctuary before too long will be filled up. We pray, Lord, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to begin to move up and down these streets in Haverhill and surrounding areas, that by the Spirit of God, hearts will be pricked and people will become curious about the things of God and that they will find their way into this church and other churches that are preaching the gospel. We pray, Lord, for salvations and for attendance, not by uh, church hopping, but by new salvations. We pray, Lord, that our loved ones would make their way into the house of God. We pray that our co-workers would make their way into the house of God. We pray that our family, family members, our friends, co-workers, our schoolmates would make their way into the house of God. And so, Lord, as we wait upon you, keep us strong, keep us focused, keep us hungry for the things of God. Lord, I can't help but think that in this waiting period, you're chipping away the old man off of many of us, and we welcome that. So, Lord, as we leave here today, let us be encouraged. 
Paul wrote it earlier in chapter 1, that you who started a good work, you are faithful to complete that work until the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, we see the day is quickly approaching. Continue your work in us, Lord. May we have a good day. May we have a good evening and a good week, a safe week. Protect us. Watch over us. Give us opportunities to share the word of God with somebody. And Lord, we do want to pray for our sister Monica this morning as she becomes ordained in the assemblies of God tonight. Bless her and her husband and family. Bless that service. And bless all those that are getting ordained to do a great work for the kingdom of God. We thank you and we praise you for this all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.